Hi. Hey. I'm Julia. And I'm Amanda. And this is Much Needed Advice, a podcast for people who want to know what to do. Margaret DM'd us this week. Hi, Margaret. She says, please, more advice on how to not be a perfectionist. Margaret, we are recovering perfectionists. We want you to know that you're not alone and we can get through this together. Yeah. And once you ease up on yourself, once you take some of these tips we're going to talk about and just ease up a little bit on some things, you're going to be so much happier. What if that was our advice? Just chill out, Margaret. <laughs> hey, have you tried chilling out? Have you, have you tried just going easy on yourself? <laughs> does that help give us five stars (laughs) it's a practice honestly as a little prelude to our advice the biggest thing that has helped me in this area has been yoga Mm -hmm. yoga has helped me appreciate myself showing up just as whoever i am that day and doing my best because it is impossible to perfect yoga The goal is never to be perfect. The goal is to just show up anyway. The more you practice just showing up and not judging yourself, the easier it will become. Take imperfect action. We say that to ourselves all the time. And each other. And each other. Take imperfect action. Find a mantra that means something to you. The other mantra that Julia told me about today is... Expecting the impossible from ourselves and others is making us unhappy. Yes. It's kind of a long one. Yeah, but it's important to remember why you're doing this or why you're trying to overcome it. It's because it's a habit that makes you unhappy. and we It won't, sucks. It sucks. And we want you to be happy and you want to be happy. So we're going to tell you some tips on overcoming perfectionism. To start, we need to talk about redefining your self-worth. Your self-worth has nothing to do with your accomplishments. It has to do with who you are as a person. For example, if you asked your friends or family what they love about you, they're not going to say, I love that you're a VP at Google. I love that you went to Harvard. I love that you got a whatever a high score is on the SATs. Can you imagine if anyone who loved you remembered that shit? (laughs) They won't. And so it's not that important. They're going to say, I love that you're funny. I love that you're kind. I love that you're witty, thoughtful. Focus on those really good qualities about yourself because in the long run, they're more important than your accomplishments. I love Julia because she hangs her picture frames in a way that's perfectly level is something I would never say. (laughs) I love Amanda because she never eats refined sugar. It's just not a thing. It's also not true. It's not true. It's not even close. (laughs) Whoa. Okay. You don't have to outweed everyone like that. But the things you're hard on yourself about usually don't matter in the long run. So that takes us to starting a task or starting something new. When we think about procrastination, a lot of times we'll start beating ourselves up for being lazy. But the reality is 
Procrastination comes from perfectionism. You're afraid to start a task because you will only accept a perfect outcome. And maybe you don't know how to create a perfect outcome. Maybe it's the first time you've ever done this. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't have a ton of time to toil over it to make it perfect. So it's hard to even start and imagine something imperfect. You can't even imagine it and it's paralyzing. Just take the first step and stop thinking about the outcome. Just think about you're doing the work that needs to be done. And this advice I always got from writer friends is all you have to do is create a first draft. 90% of the work is in editing, refining, tooling, around with whatever thing you're trying to create. But if the first draft is done, you've started and it's all momentum from there. Once you've figured out how to start your task and overcome perfectionism, sometimes perfectionism can sneak back in and make it really hard to finish what you're doing. Right. My perfectionism will creep in somewhere during the process of getting something done. And it's like I get tunnel vision you can tend to get stuck on the margins of slide four instead of going through and filling up five through 10, right? Yeah. Like your stress and perfectionism manifests as nitpicking little things. Yes. And something really like physical and tangible that I do to pull myself out of this is literally looking up and looking into the distance, visually expanding my perspective. That gets my brain thinking about the bigger picture somehow, that physical act of changing my field of vision. The other thing that I love is my timer cube. It basically limits the amount of time I allow myself to spend on something. If I'm kind of like obsessing over polishing and polishing a report, I tell myself, okay, I'm going to give myself another 20 minutes. And after that, it's pencils down. And guess what? We're using the timer cube right now to answer your question. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the stuff that will come out of our mouths in 20 minutes will be enough. Otherwise, we'll talk forever because we think like a smarter thought will come three hours from now. It's kind of like... Have you ever done your makeup and spent a little too much time on it? Like you started getting ready a little too far in advance yes. of wherever you have to go. And it's worse. And you always make it worse. Yeah. You always go like a little too heavy on the eyeliner or like screw up your mascara and end up having to redo your eyeshadow. Like just pick an end point and be done with it. Okay. Lastly... Practice makes not perfectionist. Again, this is a practice. You're not going to become perfect at ridding yourself of perfectionism. (laughs) So this is what I'd recommend. Making it like a weekly habit to try things that you know you're not going to be good at, that you know are not going to be perfect, and it doesn't matter. Yes. Do things for the experience and have those things be low stakes. That'll get you in the mode of enjoying the process of doing things rather than being so set on the outcome. Another mantra that I use is this should be fun. Yes. Is is that even a mantra or is it more of like a commitment? I Hmm. think it's a commitment that a vow. 
it's like a vow that Julie and I have made to each other about this podcast. Yeah, we have. And that I think about a lot is, you know, even when it comes to work, I love my job. I love what I get to do. So I have to remind myself of my commitment that this should be fun. Yes. And that's not to say every part of life is fun, but it's to say that sometimes you're making things not fun because of the impossible expectations you've set. So practice, what does this look like? So for example, a couple of weekends ago, I went ax throwing. Yeah. I was so bad at it. I thought it was really good for me to just have an experience where I was the worst in the room at something and it was okay. Right. Nobody cared. No one cared. And it would have been worse if you didn't go ax throwing because you knew you would be bad at it. Yeah. What does that add to your life? We're so much more interesting for the experiences that we have and the things that we try despite not knowing if we'll be good at them. Perfectionism can make your life small and you don't want that. And your imperfections make you charming. I have a weird toe. (laughs) So do I. What? We've never talked about our weird toes. We haven't. What's your weird toe? The fourth one on each foot. Me too. Shut Only on one foot though. Whoa. I have a weird toe, but it doesn't stop me because I think my feet are pretty otherwise. And my weird toe runs in the family and it's just like a part of my identity. The family toe. In short, redefine your self-worth. Remember that perfectionism leads to procrastination, so take imperfect action. If you're starting to get nitpicky in the middle of a project, step away from it, get some perspective, look at the horizon, and practice makes not perfectionist. Dear MNA, I met this guy on a dating app a month ago. For a while, we were hanging out every single day, and he even told me he wanted to marry me. But for the past two weeks, he's been canceling on our dates. I've talked to him, and he keeps saying he's excited to see me, but it's not actually happening. What does it mean? If you're confused about the behavior of someone you're dating, that's a red flag, and I'm glad you came to us. The first thing that strikes me about this story is that this guy told you, Gabby, that he wanted to marry you two weeks into dating. You know what this sounds like? Tell me. Sounds like she's been bombed. (laughs) Love bombed. (laughs) Let's just get into it. Are we ready for this? Jump in. Tell us the definition of love bombing. Love bombing is characterized by excessive attention, admiration, and affection with the goal to make the recipient feel dependent and obligated to that person. Ooh. I have some signs of love bombing that we can just run through really quick so we're all on the same page of what we're talking about. Making grand romantic gestures, giving extravagant gifts, always complimenting you, promoting excessive communication, requesting constant attention, demanding commitment, resisting your boundaries, making soulmate claims, Mm. 
They say, I love you very quickly. They're good at saying what you want to hear. They feel too good to be true. They make you feel like you're being saved. If you shared something with them about a hard time in your past or something hard in your life, they'll keep bringing it up to reinforce that you're broken and they're here to save you. They make immediate promises about the future, i.e., I want to marry you. Mm -hmm. I want to take you to Bali. Yeah. Let's go to Paris. Let's go to Vegas and elope. The biggest thing we have to explain about love bombing is why do people interpret all of the things that you listed as green lights when they're really red flags? And I think this article explains it well. As the recipient, love bombing feels really good because of the boost of dopamine and endorphins you receive. You obviously are going to feel special and needed and loved and valuable and worthy. And those are all the components that contribute and increase a person's self-esteem. Really, the love bomber's goal is to keep your self-esteem low. They want your self-esteem to be tied to their adoration of you. Yes. Not just your self-esteem is your self-esteem. It comes from yourself. They want it to be directly tied to the way that they treat you. Also, they're trying to manipulate your feelings for them. We tend to like people who are giving us all these boosts of dopamine. And so it's their way of trying to speed along your development of your feelings for them and attach you to them. Yeah. It's sick. (laughs) It is sick. And it's often associated with narcissists. Narcissists are known to be love bombers. And that's a whole huge topic that we could dive into, but we're not going to today. We want to stick to the love bombing. But if these things are sounding familiar, we encourage you to do some research on narcissism. And there's a lot of good articles and stuff out there that can show you some signs so you can keep yourself safe and your sanity safe. One thing that you've said before, Julia, is that in the beginning, it's like they're kind of creating positive relationship drama, but that's usually a sign that shortly they'll be creating a lot of negative relationship drama. Right. Or like big highs and lows, right? Yeah. The point is there's always drama. It doesn't feel steady and it doesn't feel stable. It's either like this whirlwind thing and it's really intense Or it's like you're fighting all the time, but you think it's because you're just passionate, but you're not. (laughs) Love bombing is the start of a cycle of abuse. I personally am a little more immune to this than some might be because I am hesitant to commit in most relationships. It takes me a very long time to warm up to people and trust them. And so when one guy did come at me one time with an I love you within two weeks of meeting him, I was like, what are you talking about, psycho? I didn't say that. I just said thank you. But it was definitely strange and seemed like it didn't make sense. Our relationship wasn't was definitely not in that place yet. There's no way he knew enough about me to love me. It takes... It, it just, it was impossible and it was obviously not true. Mm-hmm. So I sort of forgave him in the moment thinking he got swept up in the moment, 
But it took me a while to realize as we did keep dating each other that he was desperate to create a relationship with me where he could control me and he could have the upper hand. When things weren't all rosy and lovey, how did that control aspect manifest? The times that we would hang out would always be on his schedule. And one time when I wanted him to show up for me and he said, no, that was a big clue to me of like, oh, I'm, I'm giving a lot that I'm not getting back. Right. Maybe this person isn't actually interested in me the way they've been saying the action isn't there to back up the words. So I confronted him about it and I just said, I feel like you're indifferent, more indifferent to me than you let on. And his response was, I'm not that indifferent. (laughs) Oh, and thank God I snapped the hell out of it. Yeah. Bye-bye. I totally ghosted him. Good job. And of course, as they do, he kept trying to reach out to me through every channel possible, kept trying to reconnect. But many months later, when I was over it, I took him up on going out to dinner to catch up one night. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just kept it really surface level. And on our drive home, he asked me where I went, why I just suddenly wasn't available to him. And I told him exactly the story and it made him cry. And then I kicked him out of my car and I never talked to him again. (laughs) He cried? Yeah, he cried. I I need to know more. He cried like you hurt his feelings or he cried like he realized that he was an ass. He cried like he realized he was an ass. Wow. But I believe it was just further manipulation to try to get me back into the same kind of relationship with him again. Yeah, probably. I also realized I didn't like him that much. We had a fling. It wasn't deeper than that for me. And that's another thing they can trick you into thinking that you feel more for them than you really do. So I would ask yourself, Gabby, not does he like you, but do you like him? Here's a good exercise. If you think back over this month that you've known this guy and you take out all the words and only look at the actions, what is this relationship like? You met a guy and now he's flaked on you a bunch of times. Does that sound like it's going anywhere? Yep. Run. Do you have any other stories you want to tell before the recap? Or any stories you wanted? Yeah, I've been love bombed, love bombed before. And it was a little, I mean, it's always confusing, right? And for me, it was actually someone I had known for a long time. And then did end up having a serious relationship with and it was always drama like we talked about the positive drama in the beginning of this intense romance and then the negative drama of me always doing something wrong or is being made to feel that way or never being available enough there was a big pattern of anytime I had a big thing in my life an event or something he would have a crisis while I was having that big thing and try to demand my attention. 
like try to get me to step away from a huge event to deal with whatever crisis he just came up with. Wow. And if I didn't, he would punish me for it by like trying to break up with me or giving me the cold shoulder or telling me like, oh, well, my ex-girlfriend was available. So I just talked to her about (gasps) it. Yeah. So (laughs) basically, this is a pattern. It's a pattern of abuse to love bomb somebody to get them into this, to create this kind of unequal balance in a relationship, like an unequal power structure, and then flip the tables and create negative drama out of it. Now, we took this pretty far. We understand you're only a month into this. Yeah. But we can kind of like see what could be coming your way and that it might be better for you that it's ending now. And the power to end this fling is in your hands. Yeah. Because if it was up to the guy, he'll probably keep it. He'll keep you hanging by a string. That's true. He's going to keep coming back. He'll keep, he'll ghost you or cancel on you to the point where you'll be, you'll get kind of over it, but right before you're over it, yeah. he'll reappear yeah. and be like, I miss you so much. Yeah. When am I going to see you? So you really kind of have to go cold turkey. They'll keep trying to pull you back in. It's part yep. of the game. This could go on for years. For people, <laughs> a lot of women have relationships like this that go on for five years, 10 years. Yeah. I mean, Carrie and Mr. Big. Oh my God. We are taught. We were, they tried to teach us that that was love. That that was love. And then she ended up with him in the end. And he ghosted her on the wedding day, right? (laughs) And then they got back together. Like, Carrie was abused to the max by a narcissist. All right. Should we do the recap? Do the recap. Our recommendation is, number one, recognize love bombing for what it is. And hopefully we've helped you see the signs and if it applies to your situation. Number two turn the tables rather than thinking about whether he likes you think to yourself, do I like him? And number three, keep the focus on his actions, not his words. If you were to take all the words out of your relationship thus far, what is left of the relationship? And lastly, this is the perfect time to walk away. Yes. You're only a month in. Let this be enough of a sign that he's not taking you down a road that you're going to enjoy. If you end it now and never look back and allow yourself to find a great guy who doesn't confuse you, you'll be so much happier in the long run. Do you have a recommendation for us this week? I do have a rec this week, believe it or not. I'm shocked. I know. We didn't plan this at all. (laughs) This is so crazy. This is really off the cuff. What coincidence. Um, My rec of the week is the Revlon blow dryer brush. 
which is actually called the Revlon Salon One-Step Hair Dryer and Volumizer Hot Air Brush. If you guys haven't met Julia, she has the most voluminous curls you have ever seen. Thank you. So this brush is like a round brush and blow dryer in one. The air comes out of the brush, which makes it way easier. And it's great for all hair types, I've heard. I have really curly, coarse, thick hair, and I thought it would not be able to do the job on my hair, but it really does. And I don't even have to take any steps after that. I just blow it out with that brush and it's good to go. But I also have friends with straight hair or thinner hair who use it and it gives them like a really nice bounce and volume. Now, is this tool expensive? It's not. It's available on Amazon and on Target and a bunch of other places. It's around 50 bucks. Give or take. It always kind of changes by a few dollars. Um, If you just look up Revlon blow dry brush, it'll come up everywhere. You don't have to remember the whole paragraph name. Not bad given that every hair tool lasts a lifetime. Like I think I've had maybe two straighteners in my entire life, for example. Well, this is the cost of one blowout. There you go. Do you want to tell us your wreck of the week, Amanda? My wreck of the week is the Native Union 10-foot charging cable for the iPhone. Sorry to leave non-iPhone users out of it, but how many people could that really be anyway? Do you think this company makes charging cords for other phones? I've been biased. Um, I'm just going to do a quick Google. So I have confirmed it's only for Apple products. Okay. But I will say, and maybe this is part of the reason, it is the only brand of charging cable or any accessory for the iPhone that actually is compatible and works a hundred percent of the time. I'm sure we've all done the gas station charger move mm-hmm. where it'll charge your phone for like a second and then stop charging and then, d- and then starts charging again and then stops and you try to give it to your friend and it breaks their phone. It There's none personal. of that. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds great. And having a long charging cable is so clutch. Okay. So here's the key. It's 10 feet long. So if you're like me and you're ignoring everybody's advice to turn your phone off an hour before bedtime, you're going to love this charging cable because you can freely roll from one side of the bed to the other and bring your phone along with you. It really is the most clutch. So that's what we think you should do. What do you think? Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Do you need advice? DM us on Instagram at much.needed.advice or email us at muchneededadvicepod at gmail.com. Bye. Bye. <laughs> How did we become one voice? <laughs>